Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where our marketing strategy is as legendary as Napoleon Dynamite's dance moves, awkwardly effective and forever memorable. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I hope B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft the business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. I was with a group of friends, and that started an avalanche. Do the chickens have large talons? I don't even have any good skills, you know, like nunchuck skills, bow hunting skills, computer hacking skills. Girls only want boyfriends who have great skills. So if you don't know where that comes from, it's the movie Napoleon Dynamite, and that is an iconic movie for sure. There are really two camps. One, it's a funny cult movie, and the other is like, I don't get it. And there's really no in-between. So where are you? Have you seen Napoleon Dynamite? You know, which camper are you in? Is it is it funny or is it like, I just don't get it at all? Well, a key storyline in that movie, Napoleon has a friend, Pedro, who is running for class president. Pedro is the underdog and Napoleon is doing all he can to help Pedro stand out. And I'll just say it's memorable. If you haven't seen it, you know, you got to go see it. I can't spoil it for you. But do you ever feel like that you're doing everything you can to stand out? You're screaming into a void, trying to get your brand heard. Yeah, me too. We're in a world where the chatter is endless and the attention spans are shorter than Napoleon Dynamite's tetherball victories. So what's the secret sauce to becoming the Pedro of the business world? You know, running a, a vote for me campaign that actually wins? What underdog brands in recent memory really stand out in your mind? You know, I can think of a handful. Dollar Shave Club is one. Remember their debut video? It was quirky and completely unforgettable. They cut through the Gillette-dominated market like a hot knife through cafeteria tater tots. And, And the lesson is be unique, be hilarious, and for goodness sakes, be memorable. And they really, really stood out, and it led to a you know, billion-dollar-plus exit in a, a market that hadn't been disrupted in 50 years, 80 years, like forever. And that the SaaS market is, is ripe for that kind of thing, too. So how do we stand out in SaaS marketing? How do, we, how do we break above the noise and be heard? I think, first off, release your inner quirk. You know, you want a brand voice that is distinctive as Napoleon's boots. You know, give people something they can't find anywhere else. Like, you know, drawing a lager in art class when everyone else is stuck on stick figures. Really, just what is that quirkiness? What is it that is unique about your brand and your brand voice that makes people have to pay attention? Next up, ditch the status quo. We got time for that. Don't just give people what they expect. Give them something they didn't even know they wanted. In a world of stale fries, offer a lifetime supply of tater tots. 
Yeah, don't be the Netflix binge watch that's good for background noise. Be the show that people cannot stop talking about. Deliver your service in a way that's more buzzworthy than the latest viral TikTok dance. Stand out. Give them something that is unique, something they haven't seen before, something surprise and delight. And then let's wrap up with the ultimate goal, and that is becoming iconic. You're not just pushing a product or a service. You're selling a lifestyle, a mindset, an experience. Think about what Lloyd said last week about community-led growth. How do brands become iconic? What about Red Bull? Yeah, they didn't just sell an energy drink. What did they sell? You know, Red Bull gives you energy drinks. No, how lame would that be? That's status quo. What is it? Red Bull gives you what? Yeah, you, you said it yourself. I guarantee you did. Red Bull gives you wings. Become the brand that is synonymous with a feeling, a moment, or even a movement. And suddenly you're not just selling products, you're selling magic. So if you're tired of just being a voice trying to shout louder than the next one, it's time to channel your inner Napoleon and dance like everyone and no one is watching. Get ready to conquer the marketplace one dynamite move at a time. Who's with me on this? Let's boogie. Standing out in a crowd is as easy as catching a delicious bass with the book Small Fish Big Pond, building a world-class business that swims circles around competitors. Small Fish Big Pond delivers powerful marketing and leadership lessons guaranteed to enhance your marketing message, wrap value around your clients, and guide their buying journey to conclude that your company is the only solution for them. It includes step-by-step frameworks, time-tested growth principles to attract ideal clients, convert them, and transform them into your brand ambassadors. Also includes a chapter on my dance moves. You know, even Superman has a script tonight. Pick up the print, ebook, or audio today at smallfishbigpond.com, Amazon, or whatever your favorite book source is. And remember, all book profits go to charity, regardless of the format. Our founder on Tuesday was Alexander DeRitter, co-founder, visionary, and CTO at Inc. He has been deep in AI solutions for a number of years, crafting magical tools for web marketing. Alexander and I went down the rabbit hole of AI versus humans and the how and why of decision-making. He made some predictions about the future as well that are pretty cool. Then a double episode last week, SaaS founder and community-led growth expert Lloyd Lobo. Is community-led growth a strategy for your SaaS company? If so, how does it work? How do you do it well? Lloyd talked about that in his book, From Grassroots to Greatness, 13 Rules to Build Iconic Brands with Community-Led Growth. If you missed either of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. Great stuff there. My guest today is a visionary idea guy and serial entrepreneur with expertise in tech and marketing. Eric Holdsclaw is the founding partner and chief strategist at Liger, one of Inc. 5000's fastest growing companies. And with a name like Liger, it has to be renowned for its magical marketing powers, wouldn't you think? At Liger, Eric combines his three loves, business, technology, and people. Welcome, Eric Holtzclaw. Hey, Eric. Welcome to SaaS Fuel. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I love Liger. I mean, that's a, just a really cool name for a company. Tell me about what you do and, and how you started that. 
So Liger is a marketing firm. We primarily focus on B2B. So we do financial services, insurance, some really exciting categories like that, manufacturing, things like uh, kind of in those, those spaces. The company is named based on the formation. We brought two companies together. So we brought a strategy company and execution company together so that we could do marketing and not just build the strategy and not be able to execute or just do execution. And a liger is a combination of a lion and a tiger, too. So two strong animals. And it's loosely based on the movie Napoleon Dynamite, because in that movie, he says a, a liger is his favorite animal. And so if you yep. come to work for the company, a lot of the corporate culture is tied into that movie. We have a disco ball and our liger layer. One of our conference rooms is called Tater. The other is called Tots. So we use that as a way to you know, <laughs> help move along some of our corporate culture. I love that. And that goes right along with a theme of your company in fixing broken and boring marketing. There's nothing boring about what you do. That Exactly. Like if we were going to do a marketing firm, you don't need to have a boring marketing firm. And if I'm going to go, like that is our mission statement. Our mission statement is saving the world from boring, broken marketing. And most B2B marketing is either boring or broken or it's both. Or both. Or both, yeah. <laughs> so uh, if we were to go out and be like, yeah, we're like, you know, Holtz Klein Incorporated and we had Blue and all the things that you would expect, then why would you hire a company like that to work on your boring and broken marketing? Because that's a boring and broken kind of thing to, to put out in the world. So we get to have a lot of fun with it. I've done several companies in the past. And if you're going to build a marketing firm, you might as well do something that uh, people remember and you get to have some fun with. Right, right. You use a term called brand therapy. Tell me about that. So that is, so it's one of my favorite things that we do. So here at the Liger Layer, we have this big room that we bring our client into when we first start working with them, and we do a discovery session. And it's a time, you know, we tell them it's a judgment-free zone. You know, we're not going to say anything bad about the things you've done in the past, but we want them to confess all of their sins. So like what's worked, what's not, <laughs> where are you? And also be open yeah. to us, ask some probing questions around kind of where do you want to be from a brand perspective? Where do you see yourself? Um, our big tagline initiative for the year is to be known. And so the companies that we work with want to be known. They want to be seen. And so brand therapy is the process that we take them through from going to you know, they focus so much on like what they do and the catalog of services to really like what makes you different, what makes you stand out. And it takes a little bit of uh, being able to strip away some of the things that they think about themselves, the things they've been told about themselves. So it is a lot of like therapy, right? Like, like, why do you believe that? Yeah. Why do you think your, you know, competitor is better in that category than you are and finding what's unique about them to get them to sort of own it and then stand out using that. And that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so many companies that, that we work with in the, the SaaS space, you know, they build something amazing. And, and what I hear time and time again is if I could just get out there, if I could just get in front of people, if I could just become known, then I could sell. So right. when I get in front of people, I do really well. Just nobody knows about us. We're the best kept secret in the world. How do you solve that? So what I see, that that's what every company that comes to us for, that's their problem. Like they need to be known, you know, they've got yeah. through the best kept secret. I, if I, if at the beginning of almost every brand therapy session we do, they're like, we're the best kept secret and we don't know why. One of the reasons that they're often a best kept secret is they're focused on telling people what they do. This is what we do. 
And that is the most boring thing in the world, right? Like nobody really cares like what you do. I want to know why you do it and I want to know how it impacts mm. me. And so if we can get to those higher orders of Maslow, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like, you know, food, shelter, those types of things. Like, how do we think about the pain points that you address? How do you talk about it in a way that it really reflects what your customers' problems are? One way to know that you're maybe in that category is if your website is full of we language. So if it says Mm. we, 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 all the way home, then you probably are way too focused on what you do you can turn that same language around and talk about you. So this is how it fixes a problem for you. Like what is it it's going to address for that customer? Knowing that your customer may not, here's a big secret, want to solve the problem that you're presenting to them. Ouch. And that's exactly right. The solving of the problem that that they come to you with means they may get a promotion. They may be able to step out and work for another company. They may not have their boss nagging them every day. And so their decision-making criteria around specifically putting in a SaaS product, and often SaaS products require that you know you make a fundamental change to the way that you're doing something. you got to pull systems out, put systems in. You need to think about all that, and it's not about the what. It's the pain and suffering of you know what's this project going to look like? Am I going to look like an idiot in front of my boss? You know, is it going to make me look like a hero and I'm going to solve a problem, make things more efficient? So the reframing of what your SaaS product that is truly unique and, you know, you want to not be a best kept secret needs to be framed around what's in it for the customer. What's in it for them? Like, why do they care? And I think that's really important. And, and those conversations are going on in their heads when they're talking to potential solutions. Yeah. And I think you're you're right. It's about entering that conversation and and stepping in where they are, not trying to say, "Hey, here's a problem. Here's a problem. Here's a problem." Yeah, and and they're not going to admit like the core fear that they have, like the thing that they're really trying to see or do. Um, mostly, in, you know, again, we work in B two B. A B two B decision is a very risky decision. If I decide to yes. bring in a SaaS product and I look, and it, it's a bad thing. Like, let's say I purchase the SaaS product, it's lots of money, whatever. I look like an idiot for my boss, I get fired. Uh, if I own the company and I bring in a SaaS product and it screws up you know, my customer base, we're working with a client recently that switched one of their components of their SaaS platform and they had an outage for like two days and they lost millions, millions of dollars of revenue. So these decisions are very, very critical. Like they're, they're not just this like, you know, I, I use this analogy, like you can go out and buy something as expensive as a car as a consumer, and it's really not that big a decision because if you wanted to, you could go trade it tomorrow and it's not a big deal. But right. When you're thinking about business, if I make a decision, like we've got a couple of SaaS products we use, it would be so difficult to unplug them from this company because it would be like basically doing a heart transplant, right? And so what are those fears? Like, I'm afraid it's going to take forever for you to onboard it. I'm afraid that it's going to break something. Like, those are some of the things that you need to think about that have little to do with what the product does. Yeah, and those are, are real fears. Yes. Uh, especially, you know, the conversion, the, you know, it, how is it going to go, but, but how they're going to look inside the organization. I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of decisions now are made by committee. 
Yeah. Nobody wants to stick their neck out. Yeah. And so it's really hard to get that advocacy of, uh, yes, we want to go with this product and get them really excited. Because what if it doesn't go well? What, what if it doesn't go well? And, and I think I shared with you before we started the show, I've been brought into a lot of SaaS companies to build either a services organization because they realized they couldn't implement the SaaS product without some type of services to make sure it was going to be successful and or to put a marketing layer on top of it because they were just telling the story in a way that wasn't compelling, right? And so right. there's this belief, and it's maybe a little less with some of the recession that we've seen and you know some of the cooling that we've seen in the technology space, but it was all about like how many people can we get on this thing? What are the licenses? Yada, yada, yada. Well, those licenses don't matter if they don't stick. And so you've right. got to make sure <laughs> you've done all the right things so that you're not having, you know, a high attrition rate or bad customer satisfaction or, you know, an easy reason for a client to switch to something else because their experience working with you isn't as white glove as they need it to be. You know, you can't always just put a product out there and then hope that people can figure out how to plug it into their stack and move on. So, yeah. Right. So, so do you have a, a take on product-led growth in, in, in that market? Is that marketing different than enterprise? How do you see it? Yeah, I mean, you would... Th- so there's so, so many things that, you know, sort of kind of come off the shelf that you can buy with a credit card and plug in. The intent is for that to grow, right? So like if, understanding what that is and how then I can refer it and make it be more meaningful and those kind of things get you into, like if you think about from an enterprise perspective, what's the larger problem you're solving? Because if you solve such a small problem, then you're very easily replaced. But the more you become sticky and sort of integrated throughout, you know, that's why so many of the SaaS platforms that are done so well are the ones that like they, they like they're like a cancer. Like they get into an organization and then they just kind of <laughs> expand themselves through. And then the company's like, I don't know how we would live without that because it's just right. not, not a replaceable technology unless something else dramatically disrupts the way that it's that it's used. Right. So a good example is we very we don't we had a new guy come to work for us and we really don't use email internally. Like our company does not communicate by email. We use Slack, right? And Slack is, and Slack was like, I was one of the first people to use it for our company. And then I loved it. And then I got all of our employees to use it. Now all of our clients use it talking to us. And it, we just, there's just no way for us to like pull something like that out. So what's the, what's the problem it's solving for you? Like emails, things get so lost and that type of thing with Slack, you can thread them. We can put things organized by customer. Uh, those are the types of problems you're solving when you're putting in a SaaS product and thinking about it at a more enterprise level than just trying to solve one you know, individual problem within the company. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The, the bigger the solution, the bigger the problem you're solving, the, the more critical that is. Well, it's big and simple. That's the crazy thing, right? Big and simple. So Slack solves a communication problem. You can tack other things on. You know, you find companies that have gone out, we won't mention any today, but have acquired other companies. And then they try to bolt on those pieces of technology and you can always tell that they're bolted on. And so I, I'll talk about like, hey, so when you're buying a piece of software, look at what the name of the software is. And whatever the name is, is probably what they do the best. And that's the thing that you should use them for. <laughs> <laughs> and then all those other things that they purchased over time, while well, it feels like it would be great to have them all in them, you may want to go for a specialized product in that space. You know, it's like going to Home Depot, you're not going to buy one tool to re, 
you know, redo your entire house. You're going to buy like specific things that do specific parts and tie them together in a way that they're most effective. And that makes a, a lot of sense to do that and really take that holistic view. Yeah. 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 So it's not just, just one thing, but how does it fit into the, the whole? Do you see that from a marketing perspective of companies showing up on one platform one way and their website is another way and showing up somewhere else another way and not really sure, you know, who is this company? What do they do? Absolutely. So one, that's one of the first things we start in our brand therapy session is like, who are you? So like as an organization, who are you? And marketing is about choice. Um, you know, if you've ever saw the series, uh, Mad Men, Don Draper talks about how he can only sell one idea, you know, one thing. Right. And I don't believe that, right. Like that's kind of a very narrow focus, but knowing who you are and knowing that you attract a certain kind of audience, a certain type of customer, client, business that you're going to work with, and that everything you build, everything you do is pointing towards that is good, is very important. And also to make sure that you're getting the right type of repetition. So in the B2B space in particular, uh, marketing, it takes about 20, 21 times to build awareness, to build awareness. And so if I'm inconsistent, even in the slightest amount across any of those platforms in my message, the way that my logo looks, the colors I'm using, just even the content, the brain doesn't start to match them together and be like, oh, well, that's from the same company, right? Like I'm seeing that over and over again. All of a sudden it almost resets your number. And most entrepreneurs and business owners and salespeople are not patient. So they don't want to wait the length of time it takes for someone to like start seeing something over and over again and be like, hey, I'm starting to recognize that as a pattern to then open up the door to have a real conversation. So consistency from that website is sort of your main brochure with the content that you're building and then your social and SEO and thinking about like things that are outside of that. You know, those are the easiest places to start. And then everything I touch, look, you know, smell, feel related to your brand, I should automatically know what it is before I see the logo or hear the name. Yeah. It's really interesting thinking about that resetting. As you know, I've heard numbers anywhere from nine to, you know, 21 times uh, of that impression. And so you get to, to 10 or 15, and then they see something that's incongruent or inconsistent resetting well that's not who i thought it was you're not making the connection of you know the the two the two companies are the same thing because it was so different so out there yeah it's totally like malcolm gladwell talks about you know tipping point you know the the unconscious brain recognizing something or not and if you are running marketing and doing things for a company and you're not consistent with your logo and your fonts and your look and the way you talk about things and whatever you're not purposefully, but you are representing to potentially to the unconscious brain two completely different brands. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> and the companies we work with don't have the money to do that, right? Like, I mean, a big company that we all know that do branding really, really well, they do have the money to make that kind of mistake, but they don't. Like, you know the company often before you see the logo when you're watching a commercial, right. see an advertisement or whatever, because they've done such a good job with what that signature is. And smaller companies who are like, well, we can't afford to do that, can't afford not to do that. They literally can't. They can't make that mistake because their ad budgets and the money they're spending in marketing means they have to be more precise about who they are, what they say, how they say it, how they look. 
in order to compete against the behemoths they may be up against that do have those budgets. And it's really interesting that the, the big guys don't make that mistake. And, and I think you're right because we've probably all seen commercials and maybe we've never seen it before, but we see the very beginning of it and we're already thinking, I know what this is for. And they've shown no product. They've not mentioned anything, but the style, the, the way that it, it, it looks, the way it comes together, just like this is really familiar. And I think that this is what it's going to be. So pay attention to, so Old Navy, Target, and Apple all use the color white a lot. And you can yep. see a commercial that starts in white and almost, I almost always know, I'm like, this is going to be an Old Navy commercial. It's going to be a Target commercial. It's going to be a commercial. Because <laughs> there's got to be a variance in the way that they're using that white or the way that they present it or whatever. So there's just that. And it, it's, you know, it's that's where you get into the hooey part. I was running a therapy session for a client yesterday and we had somebody who was more on the operation side. And she's like, so this is what you marketing people do. Like you sit around and talk about... <laughs> stories and colors and whatever. And I'm like, right, but it's the, it's, you know, the, the human brain, we like look for color patterns and we stories and that's how we get started. And then once I have your attention, then I can tell you a more meaty, meaningful thing about my organization. And it's an important aspect specifically when you have a limited set of resources to spend towards that effort. So what do you think about things that are, are iconic in, in commercials or in branding that uh, that are creative? And Insurance comes to mind. You think about the different characters from different insurance companies. At what point does something like that overshadow the message versus really reinforce it and make it super recognizable? Well, I mean, some of the ones you're talking about, like insurance, it's interesting that they're able to get away with as many like iconic stories and that. And that's kind of the shtick that they're going for. Yes, um, yes. I'm always looking for visceral. How else do you sell something boring? Yeah, right, right, exactly. I'm always looking for visceral reaction. So I either want to hate it or love it, one or the other. Ah. Hate it or love it. We were talking about an insurance company yesterday. There was an insurance company we were working with, and we were helping them go through a logo redesign. And there were, um, we do a lot of MA where they're bringing like 17 companies together. And one of the logos wow. we presented to them for this new organization had this very long strip of color. And we sat in the room with all the ex presidents of the previous companies who were now coming in to like BVPs or whatever. And we talked for 15 minutes about that logo. What's that stripe mean? Well, why would we do a stripe like that? And how would that stripe be used? And blah, 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 blah. And I just listened to them and I was like, and they're like, so, I mean, so what are you saying? I was like, well, what I'm saying is that you spent the last 15 minutes talking about that logo because it struck you like of all the ones we showed you we showed you like 15 logos and that was the one that you've continued to talk about so we have a visceral reaction it stuck out it stuck out so that's what those insurance companies are doing in those promotions is they're making you pay attention like they're not doing the beautiful sunset with someone walking you know like things that you're like just fade in the background so you have to figure out a way to either make someone cry make them laugh make them mad make them happy something to stand out they're you know the attention span of a human is seven seconds 
a goldfish has an eight second attention span, so our attention span is <laughs> less than a goldfish. And so any of those kind of things you can use. I, I think seven sec- seconds is pretty generous. That's pretty generous, right? Uh, and so many yeah, messages. seven seconds. That's a long time. <laughs> and then the way that they do the repetition is smart too, because we'll, we talk about that repetition, and people think about like you know you watch the golf channel and they play the same stupid commercial over and over again. Well, that just becomes noise in the background because you're like, ugh, I've seen that commercial. Like, stop it. So play reinforcing the message in different unique ways along it, but staying within sort of the brand like guidelines and look and feel and message are really important to establishing that um, real estate inside someone's brain as to like, Hey, that's something I should pay attention to and get more information on and understanding that then specifically in the B2B space, the first place they go to find more information about your company is not your website. They're not going to go to your website. They're not going to go to your digital properties. They're going to go everywhere else because everyone has figured out the trick that the second I visit your digital property, all of a sudden, all of your salespeople are trying to link, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. They're calling me (laughs) emails. I'm being followed by ads. So they're going to go look at reviews. They're going to go read articles that your team has written or your company has written about what you do and where you are. So you want to make sure you've built a strong enough ecosystem outside of your sort of owned digital properties then to drive people in to the digital property. And it's really in the last sort of 20% of their decision making that they're going to start to spend a lot of time investigating you on your actual site. I think that's really interesting that, you know, review sites are the first places they go or they'll go at like search a a list, you know, best companies to do X or to solve a certain problem. Yeah. And they're looking for, you know, a list, not a single company. Yeah. And they also know that that single company is going to lie. Like if I come to your website, of course, you're going to tell me you're the greatest, right? So like if I... That's great. Testimonials everywhere. We're awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so if I can get third-party validation, it's a safer decision for me than just trusting what you're telling me. How should companies think about reviews and getting on sites and, and really building those digital properties outside of their own? So we talk about, so it's gonna, I'm going to kind of go backwards here. So we want to make sure that you have a really good website that is your best brochure, but it needs to be a thin website. So you're probably going to need to put it on a diet. And any of that stuff that's sort of like all that content, we then want to put into an educational content layer because you can take the same information that's like, let me tell you all these great things about me and turn it into an educational piece that lives on your site. And it's also Google and other search engines honor that better. AI honors that better than just like your catalog of stuff on your website. And then you have social and SEO. So once you have those things working, because the problem is you have to have those things working in order to start getting the reviews and getting the other things. So it's sort of like having a good resume, right? Like, hey, make sure your resume of your company's great. Everything's kind of lined up the way that you want it to do, want it to be. And then you can start to go out and either solicit reviews, you know, so like, for example, uh, there's a platform called Clutch, and we're on Clutch, and we have our clients go and review us on Clutch. So it's a way mm-hmm. to find agencies like ours and have our customers come in and give us stars and talk about you know all the things we've done and things like that. And and then getting placed content, so writing a piece or doing something that you then can share with either a partner or co-opetition or something that starts to point back to your site. That's the way you get people into that ecosystem. But I would 
propose that you have those kind of big three working well first, website content and SEO or social, before you start to do those things because then you're driving people to a destination that may not service them to then make a decision. So um, fixing those things first, but then stop focusing on that. Like when you have that working right and you're putting out good content, you need to immediately go off and start working like getting earned media placement or getting on podcasts or doing anything else that you can to drive traffic back to your site that's not your site. I like that. So once it's in place, it's not something that's constantly changing. Even putting out more content maybe, but really getting out there and getting the distribution, getting the eyeballs on what you've created. Yes. Bringing those links in and not just, you know, the old fashioned SEO backlinks that everyone's learned the trick on. Like we need some, something that's really teaching somebody something about, you know, what you do and giving away all of your secrets. Cause if you, and that's a funny thing they run into with specifically SaaS companies too. It's like, well, you know, what we do is so unique. And if we tell everybody about it and blah, blah, blah. Right, right. And I'm like, well, if that's <laughs> true, you really don't have a business. Cause that means it would be easily stealable. Right. So like you want to make, right. it, you need to be able to just tell these things. Cause in that you tell you're making it sound or explain to the person that it's way more complicated and they should just hire you. It'd be way cheaper to have you do it than then try to build it themselves. Exactly. Exactly. So it's I think really kind of backwards of what a lot of companies do in uh, in marketing is you have the strategy at the top and then and then the execution it's the the doing. And I think that a lot of times companies they're ready to just do like let's run some ads, let's do this. We've got to get leads now instead of putting the pieces in place and really looking at it strategically. Yeah. Is this something that you see often? Absolutely. We have companies who come to us who have spent just a we we see both. We come to have companies who come to us and they're spending a bazillion dollars, maybe not that much, but a lot of money on ads, right? And part of it is because they haven't built a strong organic ecosystem. So they haven't focused on their website and their content and all those other kinds of things to attract and bring organic traffic in. And so we start to work with them to wean them off of the ad spend. It's like, come on, like let's we can do this in a way that we don't have to like pay for all of our traffic, right? Yeah. But then we have clients who've never spent a dollar on an ad, you know, and so we'll work like the organic side of it, but then we'll outstrip what we can do in organic. And that's when it makes sense to start applying ads. It's also a place for us to test for organic faster. So like by putting money out there, you can like do some experiments around where should we maybe do some content around organic that we think is going to play well and then build the organic back end. So it isn't, it isn't one or the other. I've seen companies make mistakes in both. We, um, sure. We built our own display ad network last year because our B2B clients, some of our sort of first ones really weren't doing anything in display and we were at the end of our organic reach for them. And we, couldn't find a good uh, display ad network that we liked that was good for B2B because most of them are built for B2C transactional sales. Yes. And so we built one that is a B2B system instead so that we could use it and look at the customer journey a long time and, you know, the different steps uh, that wouldn't be so transactionally oriented. That's really interesting because you're right. So many of the ad networks, I mean, really are much more consumer based than, yeah. than B2B. And yeah. so if you're looking to reach decision makers and businesses, that's uh, really important to make sure that you're, you're not wasting those impressions. Not wasting them and also looking at them over the lifetime of the campaign versus like an individual ad, 
right? So like if I'm selling, I own a chicken, a chicken restaurant and I want to sell, I want to get people to come to my chicken restaurant. Well, I'm going to run an ad and hopefully it's a coupon or whatever. And I can really test the efficacy of that conversion for a B2B company in particular may not happen for a period of time. So they see an ad, they see an ad, they see an ad. And then eventually at some point later in life, they finally decide to click on something, but I've been reinforcing them along the way that I'm a good brand. You right. should pay attention to me. So, yeah. Do you have different ad campaigns uh, or use retargeting for those that are already in the process, whether it's uh, in the decision process or you, you know, live opportunities, those types of things? Yeah, we do geofencing of conferences that they go to to then come back and retarget. We'll do retargeting based on them having been on the website or certain parts of the website. We try to get websites rebuilt into audience pages. So based on like the audience that's there to solve a problem. So thinking about it from that perspective, it's a uh, interesting way. Retargeting is a great one because it's someone who already kind of knows you. And so you can start to like talk to them in a more meaningful way because you've got some indication that they have an interest in your category or area um, to, to bring them through and, and continue to educate them along the way. So do you think organic and, and ads too, uh, are, have they become more difficult over the, the last few years? Or do you think because of the technology and the targeting, is it easier? I think, I think marketing is more difficult. And I know that I say that sitting in a marketing firm and whatever, but marketing to me feels the closest like being a financial advisor of any other kind of like it's it's that's what it is like financial advisors have to know the ebbs and flows of the market like what's high growth what stock should we be on this platform should we be on that one what do we do with this oh my goodness they just changed that the fed just you know increased the rates all that and marketing's like that like week to week we are adjusting things and thinking about with while staying within our channel. Right. So like, it's this really difficult tension. It's, you know, you, if you called your financial advisor because the stock market went down one day and you're like, sell everything, they'd be like, no, 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 I don't think we should sell everything. Right. Seems a little ridiculous. Right. But maybe we need to get rid of this part of it because you were overexposed. And so from marketing, like if you think about ads and all those kind of things, there are different times and different ways and different seasons in which one thing works better than the other. This AI that's been introduced is going to be really interesting. And what Google's talking about, they're going to do with like search results. Cause like a search result page is going to become look like a Wikipedia entry. Right. So instead of like multiple, you can have like one long Wikipedia entry and you may be able to click to certain sites. So they're really looking for the site that's educating you because Honestly, you're rarely going to Google to be like, hey, so who could sell this to me? <laughs> like, right, you're on the right. side, like, I'm trying to solve this problem. Like, how would I solve it? You know, it's like, well, the way you could solve it is this reason. There happen to be a couple of vendors that do that, right? So, so my answer is I just think I'm in marketing and I think marketing is a really tough category to keep up with and so many companies are used to fixing things once like if you fix your books you don't have to fix your books every week right like but you might have to make a change a slight change to the way that you're running your marketing given what's happening in the world environment week to week or month to month yeah sometimes even more often than that yeah yeah crazy things happen or competitors specifically 
in B2C, a competitor decides they're going to outbid you on keywords and you're just spending way too much on them. So you might as well move to organic or try some guerrilla tactics or something else. Like you got to kind of like run a course, but always look around the corner. (laughs) (laughs) What's headed next? Yeah. So... So we covered boring marketing. Let's talk a little little bit about broken marketing. What are mistakes that SaaS founders make in their marketing? So SaaS, number one, thinking that the one thing I see is in the point of conversion that they, they maybe think they've won the game at that point, like somebody's ready to convert, but at that, that's really where some of the marketing just starts. You know, like, how do I make sure you have a good experience along the way? Those kind of things, not putting the proper tracking of maybe first time somebody sees something all the way to the point that they actually then tend to convert. And that's going to be based on, you know, price point and impact of pain. <laughs> like how painful is this thing going to yeah. be for me to use internally and what kind of, you know, cause cost isn't always like a free thing isn't always free, right? Like it's still going to take some right. time. It's going to take whatever. So making sure you're really tracking things appropriately. You build tracking from the beginning so that you're thinking about, you know, what that is because it's hard to go back and know later. Um, and, and I, you know, spending for um, vanity metrics. So just because a bunch of people visited your site and whatever, well, if you're fishing in a pond, like you don't have as many customers, like that traffic may not be good traffic. Like, you know, you want to make sure you really are attracting, your marketing should attract the right kind of customer and uh, repel the wrong. So uh, not all traffic is good. Like, who are we really going after? How do we know that we're spending the right dollars, looking at the right metrics, um, and not being consistent? There's a lot of them. Like, it's just like, it's not a fun thing. It it is like going to the gym and deciding you're going to get into shape like if you just go to go to the gym once you're not going to get in shape right and you got to do it every day got to move along sometimes you don't think it's working and then eventually you start to like see that uh flywheel and the flywheel and when the flywheel doesn't work you have to figure out what changed did the environment change did my customer change do i have a competitor so you're really wanting to get to that piece of it so what are some of the vanity metrics that we should ignore and what are the metrics that we should really, really pay attention to? So I hate like people talking about like how many people do we drive to our homepage? And I'm like, that is literally my least favorite metric of any metric that any company looks at. And it's one that I see so many companies looking at. I'm like, why do you look at it? It's like, well, we've looked at it for years. I'm like, I don't care. Right. Like (laughs) I want to drop someone so deeply into your site that we're already answering their question. Like I, if they on your, if they come into your landing page, like I, or sorry, your homepage, they, that's a fail. It's like me walking into Home Depot. Like I shouldn't really even be allowed in a Home Depot. Like when I walk in the front door, (laughs) I don't know where I'm going anyway. So like if I'm going in to fix a certain problem, like put me on the aisle, like put me right in front of the product on the aisle. So any of the content I'm building, the social, anything I'm doing should drive me directly into that site. So paying attention and understanding that your customer's journey through your site is not this like, they're not going to come to your homepage and click around or whatever. Really, it's something that's probably going to start somewhere else and end up in a very specific part of your site, which is likely a piece of content that's educating them on something that then is going to drive them to something else. So paying very close attention to what content works, knowing the content has a slow burn. 
So just because I launch a piece of content today, I really won't know for several months if that content is is effective or not because I have to have enough time for people to for to populate out for people to find it, whatever. So, you know, people launch a blog or do a thing and they're like, that didn't work. I'm like, we don't know that it didn't work. We won't know that it didn't work for like 30 to 60 days. Um, right. Right. You know, the convert the idea of conversion, like we, we talk about, so we use a thing internally called BACOM. So it's branding, awareness, traffic, conversion, optimization, and maintenance. I wish it were a Liger term. That's not very Liger. It's almost like a superhero term, but bad <laughs> con. So when you're spending marketing, is it on branding, awareness, traffic, conversion, optimization, or maintenance? Everybody in the world wants conversion. Every client I talk to wants of course. to convert, right? They want somebody to spend money with them. But if you don't have any traffic, you can't get conversion. If you don't have any awareness, you don't have traffic. And if nobody knows who your brand is, we can't get you awareness. So we have to start at B and move people across to the C. And once we have conversion, we can start to optimize and see what works and what doesn't. And then we just have to maintain. And we maintain as long as that thing continues to work. And when it doesn't, we may have to take a few steps back and solve for the letter we're at. So I need to have metrics that let me know how effective I'm being across that sort of bad comp spectrum. That's really, really helpful. And, and, and you're right that uh, a lot of people want to get to that conversion. That's what we all want is, yeah. uh, is what those dollars, yeah. but it, it doesn't necessarily start there unless it's just a pure transactional sale. And then, you know, what are we talking about in B2B? Yeah. There, there's much more going on there. It's not just a, a one hit, you know, buy my thing. Yeah. It's not well, an e-commerce thing. Yeah. And in SaaS in general, depending upon what the SaaS is, is there enough, like if the conversion's easy, well, is there enough value there to make someone stick? Right. Like, does, right. was it even worth it? Or if I, did I convert too early and the person doesn't know what they bought and now all of a sudden they aren't a good, can- like I'm going to get churned, you know? So there's some, some things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So if somebody does need those quick leads, is there a strategy you would recommend to, to get leads in the door and get those conversions quickly? Prayer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We, yes. we talk about um, marketing and magic and we say that we're in alphabetical order. So you need to go down to the magic department, right? So like it's not <laughs> magical. We also, we follow EOS, the entrepreneurial operating systems so our ideal clients. Sure. We don't want market. We don't want clients to see marketing as an emergency. They need to understand that's an investment. They typically come to us when they've started yes. too late. You know, it's like, oh, we're launching this thing in a week, and we're like, well, we wish you had come to us at least ninety days ago, maybe six months ago. Yeah. So it gets started too late. It's really indi- It's an indication. This is going to sound really brash. It's an indication of poor leadership if they're at the point that they now need mm. like a bunch of leads because they should have thought of that. Cause if they're building a freaking product, it took some time to build the product. Right. So right. Wasn't marketing at the table at that point to like help you understand and what may actually need to be in it or how you position it or whatever. So those worry us a lot when someone comes to us and they're like, Oh, we've got this event. Yeah. We've got to sell this product or we're just coming to market. You know, what could we do quick? You can do some guerrilla tactics, but they're not, they're expen- things like that can be very expensive. You know, we're working with a client right now who wants to do a rollout in San Diego in September, and we're looking at like buying the. There's you can buy 
advertisement on the train and on the billboards and all those kind of things to get them that level of awareness. But there really isn't a magic bullet. The, the only companies who have magic bullets are the ones who have a lot of money. You know, the ones that have like sure. made a bunch of VC money and, and already have great marketing departments and can make some mistakes. But most of the companies we work with, they need to have thought more carefully about their marketing earlier. I think that's a, a big one. Just thinking, you know, if I build it, they will come because I'm going to okay. build something that's so awesome. Everybody's going to want it. Yeah. No, they marketing should be baked in just like any other part of the SaaS uh, solution that they're building. Well, where can people learn more about you and about Liger Partners online? So LigerPartners.com is our website, but the best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. So I'm all over LinkedIn uh, and I have a newsletter called Digitally Inclined on LinkedIn that talks about sort of the digital space and how marketing can be applied and what you can do to, because we are a digital first agency and then we do things that kind of support because everyone is going to end up on digital, even if it's a physical, <laughs> Sure, are going to check it out digital. So yeah. So Eric Holtzclaw, just find me on LinkedIn. Love to, love to chat. It is a great newsletter. Everybody should subscribe to that. And you also have a podcast called The Claw. I do. Yeah. Eric Holtzclaw, The Claw and the company called Liger. So we all worked well together. Yeah. With the marketing podcast for C-suite executives. So I interview uh, other marketing kind of experts on what it takes to get mark you know, to do marketing and do it well. Outstanding. We'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes. Eric, it's been a great conversation. Thanks for being on Task Fuel. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Eric, for coming on the show and sharing your insights, experience, and great skills in marketing magic. You can learn more about Eric and Liger at ligerpartners.com. Engage with them to be known for all the right reasons. You can also hear more of Eric on his own podcast called The Claw. It's all about marketing. It's a great podcast, and they just hit 100 episodes. So big shout out to Eric and the team on that. That is an amazing accomplishment. Congratulations there, Eric. All links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. And of course, our YouTube channel as well. Please subscribe or follow us there. And everyone who subscribes this week gets Vote for Pedro stickers. Slap them on anything to instantly make it 2004 level cool. Side effects may include a certain urge to dance awkwardly, which <laughs> is the only way I know how to do it. Join us next Tuesday where our founder is Shanif Danani, who helps businesses connect their internal and proprietary systems to ChatGPT, enabling employees, customers, and other stakeholders to reap the benefits of large language models using their own data. It's all the benefits, none of the backlash. Maybe. Maybe we'll ask Shanif about that and let him weigh on that one. And next week, our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, we have Martin Huntbach, award-winning marketer, best-selling author, and director of Jammy Digital, where he and partner Lindsay help SaaS companies find and retain customers who become super fans of their product. Now, that sounds pretty epic. Want some super fans? I know I do. Are you a super fan? Well, I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, 
please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.